<clears throat> Good morning, everybody. How are you? Everyone's doing well? Uh, we are, oh, I'm going to pray just really quickly again. Sorry, we're just going to three prayers straight away. We're going to have a hat trick of prayers. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just ask that as I speak, God, that, uh, that uh, you would uh, shine through your words, God, that you would challenge us through your word. Uh, that I would become smaller and you would become greater, God. Uh, I just ask that you would ignite heart flames that can't be put out. Uh, give all the glory for you, what's going to happen today, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, we are in our fifth uh, episode, episode uh, of our DNA series. Uh, we're looking at what makes us the church that we are, and uh, particularly here at CCW. And we started with uh, Pursuing God. Uh, then we went to loving the family, growing in generosity, giving our best to the body, and today we're in living and sharing the gospel. And if I'm totally honest, when I first saw that this part of the DNA was living and sharing the gospel, uh, immediately I was like, why is it living and sharing the gospel? Why isn't it believing and sharing the gospel? Because, uh, you know, the gospel literally is the good news. And how do you live news? So it should be, surely believing and sharing the gospel. But the more that I started to prepare, the more I dug into this, the more I am convicted and convinced that it is totally living and sharing the gospel, not believing and sharing the gospel, because I am totally convinced that as Christians, we are asked to do more than just believe. Let me say that again. As Christians, we are asked to do more than just believe. Uh, I was raised uh, in my teenage years, the Youth Alive uh, conferences. Who remembers the Youth Alive conferences in Melbourne, like the big arena? I'm not talking like the little ones now, like the, the big one at Rod Laver Arena. Man, I loved those things. I went to those things all the time. Me and about five of my mates, we used to go to those things. Every time they were on, we were there. And uh, we used to get in one of our parents' cars and we'd drive down and we'd go to Youth Alive. We'd see all, like, the motocross people out the front and, you know, all the entertainment that was there. But, <coughs> excuse me, uh, when it was time to, to worship and hear the gospel, we were just totally there, were totally in it, and we were just soaking up the Word of God. And I remember every single time we went to Youth Alive, and by the way, I'm not picking on Youth Alive, but every time we used to go to Youth Alive, the preacher, whoever was um, sharing at that, that, that time, would say, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then come up the front and give your life to him. And we're like, fantastic. So we were down there recommitting. We were altar call junkies. We were there every single time, you know, giving our lives to Jesus because we were told if we just believed, then we would be saved and we'd be great. We'd be Christians. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that he died on the cross and we believe that he rose again for our sins and we can have eternity with him and the veil's been torn. We can have relationship with God right now. But what was never communicated to us as young guys was that that's not the end of the story. Is that we now have to live this faith that we've taken on. We have to live the gospel. And out of me and all my mates, I'm the only one today that is still following Jesus. Because I was lucky enough to get connected into a church where someone got alongside me and said, now you've got to live this. Let me show you what that looks like. Whereas my mates weren't so lucky. And now the belief that they had was not enough because they didn't know how to live it. 
They didn't know that it took surrender. It took sacrifice and picking up your cross to follow Jesus and live the gospel. And you might be sitting here going, you know, this is borderline heresy, Adam. You're saying that belief is not enough. I'm not saying belief is not enough. I'm just saying belief is not it. There is more. Um, by the way, our back screen's not working, so I'm going to do the awkward like look around now and again just to make sure it's going. There we go. James 2.19 says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Belief is not all that's asked of us. Even the demons believe. They know the word of God backward and front. They know that it's true. Belief is not all that's required. What is required is total surrender to Jesus. And that's what it means to live the gospel. Total to surrender to him, giving of ourselves, giving us ourselves away for the sake of what he's called us to do and the mission that he's put on our lives to go and live that for the sake of the kingdom, not for the sake of ourselves. But what does it mean to live the gospel you know, this is actually a really interesting thing. And I've, God's taken me on a journey as I've started to, to pull this apart this week. And we're going to separate, if I can, there we go. <laughs> actually, here's not one more quote that I absolutely loved. I found this the other day. Simple agreement of the gospel divorced from a transforming commitment to the living Christ is by biblical standards less than faith and less than saving. And to elicit only agreement of this kind would be to secure only false conversions. You see, what this is saying is if we tell people all you need to do is believe and that is it, you're all good, you don't have to do anything after that, that is false conversions because we're telling people you don't need to pick up your cross, you don't need to follow Jesus, and when you tell people they don't need to follow Jesus, they don't become disciples of Jesus because they're not living as he lived. So today we're going to look at what does it look like to live the gospel and we're going to spend a lot of time in living the gospel, and we're quickly going to tack on sharing the gospel at the end. Um, but I really think that we have to grasp this thing, because if we don't understand what it means to live the gospel, we can't effectively share the gospel. You with me? All right. So, for those taking notes, we are going to be talking about living the gospel. What does that mean? Um, <clears throat> I struggled with this question this week. What does it mean to live the good news? I don't turn on the news and see the weather forecast and go, I'm going to live that this week. <laughs> I don't come to church and someone says, hey, fantastic, guess what? We got engaged. I'm going to live that news. It's news. But how do we live it, right? We have to live the gospel. What does that look like? Yeah? It's confusing. Well, it was to me anyway. And I was... Uh, Going through Scripture, and I found Philippians 1.27, for those who have the Bibles with them. It's important for me to put some context around Philippians. Um, Philippi was a city that was a Roman outpost, and ex-military leaders from Rome would come and settle there. So Philippi, even though it wasn't Rome, had its culture and its roots built into Philippi, uh, Rome did. So the people who were there were following Roman rule, Roman law, Roman culture. And when in Acts, when uh, Paul went to Philippi first to tell them about the good news of Jesus, he was persecuted, he was ridiculed, and he faced resistance because he's going into a culture of people who follow Roman emperors, who follow the rule, the gods of Rome, the laws of Rome, and saying, forget all that and follow Jesus. 
Since then, Paul's left and he's now in prison. And the church in Philippi has heard about uh, Paul's imprisonment and they send someone to go and bring gifts to Paul. And Paul is thankful, so he sends a letter with this person back to the church in Philippi, which is Philippians. Because the people in Philippi are still facing persecution and resistance to the gospel and being discouraged from the resistance they're facing. And Paul (coughs) writes this in verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. The one word there that really struck out to me, and I don't know why, but I felt like God was just leading me to that verse, uh, that word, and I started to look into it, and it was really interesting that the word that I was drawn to was the word worthy. Worthy. Live yourselves as citizens of heavens, conducting yourselves in manner worthy of the good news. Now, I looked at the original Greek, and the, the Greek actually doesn't use the word worthy. It's the word, well, it doesn't because that's English, but <laughs> it's the word axios. And axios doesn't mean worthy. Axios literally is the term used for balancing a scale. So what Paul is saying is you need to live lives that are balanced with the gospel. The gospel being Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love to us in this, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ became a man, came to earth, died on the cross for our sins to tear the veil so not only we spend eternity with God, but we can have relationship and community with God right now, which is awesome, which is fantastic, which is amazing, it's glorious, and we have to live lives that are balanced with that. Come on, Paul. Who can do that? Hands up if your life right now is balanced with the gospel. (laughs) Not me. And that's what he's asking us to do. That seems like an impossible task. How do we do that? Does he understand what he's asking of us? We can't live like that. We can't live the gospel then. But I think that maybe if we break it into smaller bite-sized pieces, we might be able to really understand what that looks for us day to day in the way that we interact with the people that we see and the communities we're involved in. So that's what I did, is I broke it into two small pieces, which hopefully will make it easier, spoiler alert, it doesn't, for us to follow and live the gospel. The first way we can do that is to... Live our lives out like Jesus. See, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about what Jesus has done. So we have to look to Jesus. And not only just how he died, but how he lived. And the way that he gave himself for us, but also the people he was in community with. You see, the interesting thing when you read the gospels and you look at the story of Jesus, is most of the people that Jesus interacted with and healed and spoke into their lives and gave power to were people he met on the way to somewhere else. You see, Jesus wasn't um, all uh, caught up in the fact that he had thousands of followers at times and that he had a job to do and he was going somewhere. When he saw someone in need, when he saw someone who needed him, he gave them his help, his love, his care. 
And we are called to do the same. Living out the gospel is being Jesus' hands and feet to the people around us. You know, Jesus is so serious about this that he actually gives us a warning in Matthew 25. And I wasn't going to put this on the screen. I was just going to paraphrase it. But you know what? We live in a country where we have the word of God, so we're going to use it. So just grab it with you. I haven't got it on the screen. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus is so serious and so passionate about us being his hands and feet in the community. He gives us this as encouragement, but also a warning. He says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. He's talking about the judgment that is to come. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Verse 37, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or, in, or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king turned to those on his left, away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And here's the two things about that piece of scripture that kind of frighten me and challenge me. The first one is, these are Christians. These are people who believe who Jesus is. These are people who proclaim to be Christians and they're not doing what Jesus has told them to do. And the second thing that's interesting is that these people, all of them which profess to be Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, will be there and they will be separated. Some will go to heaven and some won't. And here's the really kicker, here's the kicker, right? Is that by the scripture, the only thing that separates the sheep from the goats, in the words of Keith Green, is what they did and didn't do. Not what they did and didn't believe, what they did and didn't do. Now, I know you're sitting here going, man, Adam's preaching work salvation. No, I'm not. I'm saying that what you do is a direct uh, correlation to actually what you believe and your surrender to Jesus Christ. God's called us to live this way, and because we do it, that is the fruit from the faith we have in Jesus and the surrender to Jesus. When it's lip service and our lives don't change whatsoever, it's an evidence that our hearts haven't changed either. God has called us to be His hands and feet. 
It's like what Hobbo was saying, love and love and love until they ask why. That's what God's asked us to do, to go and love people. When was the last time you visited someone in prison? When was the last time someone who was sick and you went and visited them? Someone who was in need and you said, you know what, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to go to that person. This is challenging for me too. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm the same. As I was looking through this, I'm like, man, I need to pick up my game. Because there are certain times where I see there's people in need and I'm just too busy. I need to be more like Jesus. And when I'm on the way somewhere, is have time for everybody. Because that is what it means to live out the gospel. Rick Warren said, you are most like Jesus when you're focusing on someone else's hurts and needs rather than your own. It's challenging. You know what? Jesus didn't just live a sacrificial life. He also died a sacrificial death. And if we are to live the gospel and everything that Jesus did, then we are to die a sacrificial death. Now, I'm not saying go and die. I'm saying what we need to do is die to ourselves. And I've said this before in another sermon. This is how passionate I am about it. Is we need to give ourselves away. To pick up our cross. Whoever, loses, whoever tries to find his life will lose it. And whoever loses it for my sake will find it. What does it mean to die to yourself? It means to give up on what you want, your desires, the things that that get you going and say, God, I just want you and I want you to work in my life. Let me be an extension of you, up, in, out. How can I do that? Because it's not about me. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something that maybe no one's ever said to you before is in regards to the kingdom work, it's not about you. It's not when you come to church and go, I didn't like the music, that's not about you. When you go looking to community and go, oh, we need to be more in the community and maybe, you know, that person should be, it's not about that. You, give your life away for the sake of Jesus. Let Jesus focus on others and let Jesus focus on you. I don't know about you, but like for me, the last time I said to God, God, just use me. Don't worry about my insecurities. I'm just going to give them up. The, the pain that I've been feeling, I'm just going to give it up. Just use me. It's been too long since I've said that. What about you? In Philippians, where we see that uh, Paul wrote that letter, the f- thing that he starts with, which I absolutely love, and this is a great example of giving yourself away, dying to yourself. He says, and he's in prison, he says, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. This is a man who is totally dead to himself because he doesn't, for him, it doesn't matter if he dies, it doesn't matter if he lives. His own worry, his own um, self Preservation is not on his radar whatsoever. All he wants is what God wants for his life, whether that's living or dying. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is it to say, God, just more of you, less of me, more of you. Can you imagine a church like this? Can you imagine our church like this? Can you imagine CCW like this? If grudges were released... 
if pain was let go, if arguments were settled, if we stopped worrying about how my pain and my feeling, we go, God, what are you doing? Help me be a part of that. Can you imagine what a light that would be in the community? Can you imagine that people would see that and go, you know what? Why are they like that? Total selflessness. Surrender to God. Absolute surrender. I want to tell you one story of a guy who I believe uh, showed great surrender. Uh, The year is 2001, North Korea. Christianity is outlawed. (coughs) There is a guy named Kim, and he's walking down the road with his friend. And uh, something happens, and Kim runs home. And his mum's at home washing the dishes, and Kim walks in the door, and he's crying, he's pale, the colour is washed from his skin, he's shaking. And his mum realises something's happened. Captain Obvious. Something's happened. So she goes up to Kim and says, Kim, what's happened? Why are, you, why are you like this? And Kim talks about what had just happened. He says, I was walking down the street with my friend, and these soldiers came up and they grabbed my friend and they threw him to the ground. And they said, you're a Christian and you need to recant. You need to give up on Christianity. And his mum said, well, what happened? And Kim says, he looked at me and said, I will never give up on Jesus. And then he was shot dead. And I don't know what's going on because what's this Jesus stuff about? Christianity's outlawed. The teaching of it. And his mum starts to cry like sobbing, ugly crying. And uh, she says, he did something that I couldn't do. He stood up for his faith. And Kim, I want to tell you all about Jesus. You see, his mum was an underground Christian who was so ashamed of, uh, not ashamed, but so frightened for her own safety and her own life, she didn't even tell her own son about Jesus. But Kim's friend gave her the courage to say, you know what, I need to own this. I need to die to myself and tell you. So she sat there telling him all about Jesus and Kim gave his life to Jesus at the dining room table. And then Kim and mum are crying together. And then Kim's three brothers walk in. And they walk up and they see that they're both crying and ask him what's happened. And they're both frightened because they know the punishment for being a Christian. And they explain to the three brothers what's just happened and that they're following Jesus now. And the three brothers give their lives to Jesus as well. Today, oh, I don't know about today, no one's heard from Kim in a long time. But the last news is that Kim and his three brothers were Bible smugglers. (laughs) Thousands of Bibles being distributed through North Korea because... One man, with a gun to his head, was already dead to himself for the sake of Jesus and said, I'm never giving up Jesus. That's dying to yourself. And I'm not telling you that you're going to go out of here and be martyred and someone's going to kill you. But what I'm saying is you should be prepared to. When you give your life to Jesus... You're dying to yourself. It's about you, Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when God calls a man, he bids him, come 
and die. God's got that call on all of us. To live the gospel is to live like Jesus, totally sacrificial for the sake of others because you love others. And to die to yourself for the sake of the kingdom. That's what it means to live the gospel. And once we grasp what it means to live the gospel, then we can effectively share the gospel. You know, and uh, I love that these two points in our DNA are together. Live the gospel and share the gospel. Because they work in unison. They work so closely together, hand in hand. And when you take one element away, it actually changes the whole dynamic of that extra piece. So let's really quickly look at that. So, share the gospel, live the gospel. If we take away live the gospel, and we have a Christian who doesn't live the gospel, is not sacrificially giving themselves away, not interested in the sake of other people, but only on self, but goes and tells everybody, hey, you need to go follow Jesus because it's the best thing you'll ever do. That person is a hypocrite. And I'm sure you don't have to think very long to think of people you've met like that. Maybe it's you. Brennan Manning says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And because scripture should be used to back up everything, James 2, 14 to 17 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it with your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. James is talking about fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. You see someone who proclaims to follow Jesus, someone who says you should follow Jesus but does not live that, you do not listen to that person. And it's not even about faith, anything. If you see someone not living anything and telling you the virtues of that thing which they're not living, you don't listen. And you shouldn't. If we are Christians, then the byproduct of our faith in Jesus should be that we give ourselves away for the sake of the kingdom and we are Jesus' hands and feet everywhere we go. What's your fruit look like? Because the outside world is watching, whether you want to admit it or not. The outside world is watching for two reasons. The first, to see how valid your faith is. Because if you don't live this and you proclaim it, then surely there's not much power to this because it hasn't changed your life much at all. But the second reason people are watching is because they're not only evaluating your faith, but they're evaluating our God. The world is in pain. There is so much pain, so much hatred, jealousy and guilt. And to hear this news that there is a God who can take that away seems too good to be true. 
Some people are looking at your faith to see if this God actually can do what you say he does. We need to give ourselves away for the sake of the kingdom because through that, other people will get to know our awesome God. What a testimony to him that his followers give it all away for him. What an awesome testimony. Then on the other side of the coin, we have people who live the gospel but don't share the gospel. I was really careful what to put here. (laughs) So I put, at best, those people are misinformed and at worst, it's blasphemy. Misinformed because, oh, I've just told that you just got to live it, you know. You just got to live it, live a good life. People will see that and that's enough. That's not true. Blasphemy because what you're essentially saying is, look at my life, just follow me, but don't worry about the good news that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Now, I'm not saying you have to get on to people and be like slamming them with the gospel first thing. It's again what Hobbes said, love them, love them, love them until they ask, Why? It should get to that point where people go, why do you live like this? Why do you just keep giving of yourself? Like, you don't think about your needs and your desires. You just keep giving away for the sake of others. Why? Why? You may have seen this quote, which uh, is questionable whether he actually said it or not, but you're familiar with it, which is, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You may not believe it. You may know people. You might have it in your, your house on a wall or on a mantelpiece. What trash? <laughs> I think this is absolute lies. When necessary, use words. Well, let's look at what the Scripture says. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the Word of God. How will they know if we don't tell them? Again, I'm not saying go and shove it down people's throats as soon as you see them, but... Come on, there should come a point. Let's pray for that point where people say, why are you different? So we have an opportunity to give an account for why we are like we are. 1 Peter 3.15 also says, Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. First part of that is you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life, not just lip service, not just singing songs, but everything you do should ooze Jesus. Everything you do should scream Jesus. Everything you do should tell people all about Jesus and the fact that you are different to the world. So they look to you and say, why are you different? When was the last time someone looked at you and said, why are you different? Has it ever happened? It should. And these are questions I ask myself too. I'm not trying to be judgmental. When was the last time someone looked and said, why are you different? So we see living the gospel and sharing the gospel go hand in hand. And when they come together, you have the effective witness. The person who lives it, who gives themselves away who is not concerned about their own desires because they're already died to themselves. They're concerned about the kingdom and what's best for the kingdom and says to other people, this is why you should live this way. Because of Jesus. Look at what he's done. That's how I live this way. How are we going with being effective witnesses? 
How are we going? It's a big challenge. And I found this quote, and this is something that's really challenged me, and um, I really want it to be the prayer for us, is, Lord, I am your messenger. Throw me like a blazing torch into the night. That was Mary Skobzova, who died in the gas chambers in the Holocaust. Lord, I am your messenger. Throw me like a blazing torch into the night. Are we a blazing torch in the night? And I'm not trying to be super general and say the church as a whole. CCW, here in Warrigal, are we a blazing torch in the night? Do we have that effect on the darkness? We should. We should. How are you going with that? Let's all get better at that. Let's be Jesus' hands and feet. Let's give away for the sake of others. Let's love others unconditionally. Let's die to ourselves. Let us value the kingdom. Let us value God over our own desires. Because it's only then that we'll be a blazing torch in the night. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's so challenging to see the way you lived your life. Uh, Jesus, you, you gave everything. Um, it didn't matter who people were. If they were disabled, sick, didn't matter if they were a man or woman. Jesus, you just gave of yourself all the time. No one was too difficult. No one was too menial. And you loved. Help us to love like you. Help us to be your hands and feet, God. Help us to see the people in our community that need your love. And help us to meet that need, God. And most of all, Help us to die to ourselves. Let us really realise what that means to not want our own personal selfish desires, God, but to give everything away for your sake. You died for us. Let us be a living sacrifice for you. Let us be a blazing torch in Druin, in Warrigal, in Surrounds. Let us light the way for you and your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.